Hello again, everybody. My name is Alex Baird. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm the campus pastor here at Church in the Valley. And we're continuing a message series that I started last week called Painting a Bright Future. And really, last week, this week, and next week, kind of talking about how do we make the most of the Christmas season, despite sometimes all of the the messages that we hear and the, the busyness and the expectations and sometimes just the kind of the weight of the things that we're dealing with. And so my hope for, for you today and over this series is to take some time to slow down and to hear uh, from God, to allow God to, to speak to you. And if you don't have a relationship with God yet and you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus and you've heard about Christmas, and you're not exactly sure what that means and how that relates to your life. Uh, I want God to speak to you as well. And if you are a Christ follower, uh, we can be very good as Christians at keeping busy and going, 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 and actually not in the busyness of life, taking time to hear from God either. And so I'd like to just pray and and ask God that God speaks to us uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do welcome you here. We thank you for this season to renew our lives to you, to following you. And for some of us, we're trying to figure out what our life is all about, uh, the purpose of it, the measure of it, and how we move forward and make progress. Uh, For some of us, we are tired, burnt out, discouraged, overwhelmed. God, no matter what we face, you draw near to us and you speak to us. And so God, help us to hear from you this morning and for us to just hear your voice in a clear way. So we ask that your word will pierce our hearts. Uh, If we have any kind of shell or obstacle that's overwhelming us or preventing us from hearing you, God, will will you speak to that as well? So we ask for your help and your power. In the name of Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Christmas is a time that I really enjoy, but it's interesting as I've become a parent and as I've kind of playing the role of making Christmas nice for my kids, Christmas is also overwhelming. Any parents out there that you just kind of feel a little tired at Christmas time, maybe more than others? Okay. Good. There's some, right? There is some. How many of you just are tired at Christmas time in general just because of everything you have going on? All your weekends are full. Okay, good, right? It's just a time of fun and there's celebrations and there's lots of things. We're wrapping up work. We're wrapping up school. And in that, we have all these other things uh, going on. Uh, but there's also a part of Christmas, which are the senses, the things that you can see and, and the different fun that you have. But one of the, the most striking things that I remember early on in Christmas was the nice and naughty list. Do you guys remember that? Did you ever grow up like wondering if you were on that list, right? It's the idea that Santa will bring you gifts if you're on the nice list or... You won't get any gifts if you're on the naughty list. So how many of you, when you were younger, which list were you on? So we're going to divide the room. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But isn't it so interesting at Christmas, there's a time where in the middle of the celebrations of everything, there's this like morality that's put in the middle of it. Nice and naughty. And I don't really know the roots and kind of the background of who developed this nice and naughty list, but I have a feeling it was apparent that decided like the only way that we're going to have like fun this Christmas is if we bribe our kids, 
Now, I won't have you raise hands, but bribery can become a really easy tool, it seems like, to get people to do what you want. So the idea here is we want people to be good. Let's connect it to gifts. And so you spend a lot of times as a kid just wondering, like, are you going to get gifts? And is this coal thing real? Do you really only get coal? Now, I don't know if there's any bit ever been a parent that if your kid has really been acting out, you've decided, like, no Christmas for you this year. It's kind of harsh, right? But what if the naughty and nice list were real? Which list would you be on? You ever thought about that? We're, we're adults, Alex. Spare us. I will, but I want you guys to watch a little clip on what this would be like if this were real. Let's watch it together. called Arthur Christmas. So when people ask you what you did at church today, just say we watched a Christmas movie, right? It's actually a a, a really fascinating movie. And in case you didn't know, elves are the ones that they make it all happen. Okay. That's what it's portraying. But it's interesting. The gauge, right? You see the little gauge of nice and naughty and it gives a percentage and then it gives the percentage of the gifts that matches that. And then the elf that's like sacrificed, like, oh, the bad kid, but all, you know, it's interesting. But this idea of of morality, the reason it shows up in Christmas 
is because it actually is something that, that we deal with and we, we think about a lot. Now, we live in a time and culture where people say that there's really no wrong and morals are relative. You, you think what you want, I think what I want, and we each do what we want as long as we don't hurt each other. The problem is sometimes what somebody wants to do hurts somebody else, and then we have injustice and we have guilt. We have all these things that, that are real, but at Christmas time, it's actually in the middle of the gifts, in the middle of all these things, there's this kind of core story and thread of this, who is good? Who, who is bad? And how will you get what you deserve based, based on that? So today I want to actually talk about this. Uh, the reason is, as, as adults, we're not usually thinking about this in terms of gifts, but we are using it in terms of the life that we think we're going to have. And usually it's in the range of, I'm a good person. If I am a good person, I will have a good life. Okay. And all of us tend to think that. And as a Christ follower, when you decide to follow Christ, you actually have to come to terms with your own view of how good or bad you are. Everyone does. But at Christmas time, especially, it's very easy to get caught in this balance and this tension of keeping up appearances. How many of you, this is rhetorical, but how many of you actually like to look good to others? I know I do. I want other people to think well of me. I want to look good. I don't like it when I don't look good. This is a struggle. I'm sure for you, it's a struggle as well. What happens at Christmas time is in the middle of everything we have going on, there's a core of us inside of us that the keeping up of appearances is very important. You may be going home and visiting family and you want them to see what you want them to see. And hopefully that's the best side of you. As you relate to people in your life, when things are going wrong and when you're struggling, there's just a part of you where you don't really want to admit if things aren't coming together. This is a struggle for, for all of us. The keeping up appearances, looking good. I think this is a pull that we, we all have. But it goes back to, are we good? Are we not? And what tends to happen if we're not good, if we're struggling, if we're failing, if we're treating people wrong, we sometimes we just decide to fake it. And then we just, on the outside, appear one way with really some decay and destruction that's happening on the inside. People don't talk about this much. This is what happens inside of all of us. We say that morals are relative. Culture tells us that the media tells us that, but at Christmas, there is something in us that's saying, well, what, what's good. What's right. Let's, let's treat each other in that way. We all call each other forward to do that. But how, how do you do that? So that's what I want to spend some time talking about today. Uh, for me, if I were to put myself on the list, the Bible tells me, and my own experience tells me I'm on the naughty list. I am. If the gauge were put on me and a little elf came up and just shown it, it would say a hundred percent naughty. The reason is, is because I'm, I'm a sinner and I was born a sinner and sin is rebelling against God going my own way. Want to do life my own way. Every human actually is on the naughty list. We are. We're not good. There's parts of us that are good, but at our core, 
Our motives are selfish. We tend to be stubborn. We want ourselves first. And that struggle plagues us every day that we live. So I've rebelled against God. Now what the scriptures say as well, because of my rebellion, because I've sinned and I want to do life my own way, there's a cost to my rebellion. There's a cost to sin. The Bible says that cost is death and judgment. Spiritually, when you sin, you, you die. And we all die physically, but we actually are dead spiritually. And so because of my sin, I experience death and I experience judgment, which means I'm going to go before God and he's going to ask me about my sin. And I can't say, well, I was kind of good. The gauge read like 50%. You do what you want, God. No, I'm, I'm a rebel. And because of that, I deserve judgment because I've gone away from God. And I deserve spiritual death. And all of us do. This is what the Bible says. And we know this experientially because we know when we've wronged somebody, the feeling that we have, the feeling of guilt, the feeling of shame. We also know when somebody has done that to us, if morals were relative, then why is there pain? How can people hurt us? How can we hurt others? It's because there is right and there is wrong. And when people hurt us, it, it lingers, it stings, it stays, it bothers us. But what would you talk about when you read the scriptures is this story that gets rewritten. And at Christmas, we actually can move beyond, are we good? Are we bad? We can move to, what did God do about it? If we've all rebelled, which the Bible says we have, we've all fallen short of God's glory, his best for us. And we deserve death and judgment. If that is true, what did God do about it? And out of his love, he actually did do something. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. In fact, the whole world celebrates at Christmas, even without realizing it, the most historic and meaningful and important event that ever happened. And that's the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to earth changed history because it actually gave us a path out of our rebellion. It gave us a path out of our sin, gave us a path out of judgment gave us a path out of guilt and out of shame. And it actually has painted this bright future for all who decide to follow Jesus Christ. So I want to start with this overarching point. And that is what Christmas represents. Christmas shows God's grace and his longing to know us. See, in, in my sin and in your sin, the going our own way is actually something that we do. It's, it's not an idea. It's we do what we want. God says for us to love people and we choose to be selfish. That's sin. We go our own way. God chose, you know, commands us to be generous, but we're, we're stingy at times. That's sin. We go our own way. God says for us to work hard and we're lazy. That's sin. We go our own way. God says to be patient with the person that's really hard to be patient with. And we're short and we're harsh. That's sin. And we've gone our own way. I can go again and again. We, we, we see this again and again, this going our own way. 
But what Christmas shows is that despite going our own way, Jesus was sent so that we could have a relationship back with God. I can't choose to be good enough. Because every day I choose to be good and I blow it. I do. I mess up. At Thanksgiving, I had a, I had a conflict with some you know, family. And everything was going great. And then just out of nothing, this, this conflict abrupted. And I was face to face with just my own selfishness. You ever, you know, just if you're really honest with yourself, you kind of get to this place where you quiet down outside the noise and, and you just have to tell yourself, like, man, I am, I am selfish. I really care about myself. And in the middle of the celebrations in this time, I just was face to face with my own selfishness and my own sin. And I just didn't like the way that that felt. You know what? That, that kind of stayed with me for a few days. If you've messed up and you've like hurt people or you said something you didn't want to say or you reacted in the moment in a way you didn't want to, does that linger with you? I know what it does to me. Like I wake up the next day and there's kind of a pit in my stomach and I forget what that's about. And I remember like, oh, that's right. I blew it. And I hurt people. This happens to me a lot. I do it with my kids. I do it with my wife. I do it with other people. I'm selfish and broken. And so when I think about just trying to be good, As long as I'm good, I realize I cannot be good. The harder I try, the more I fail. And so Christmas represents the reality of the fact that there's nothing I can do to change my destiny of judgment and death. The only change was initiated by God himself who made me and he sent his son so we could have a relationship. That's what Christmas is about. The lengths that God went to have a relationship with me. It brings up the question, why, why can't just God have a relationship with us? If he loves us so much, why can't he? Because we've rebelled. We're not with him. We've gone our own way. We're lost. We think we've known better. We're leading ourselves. So we're not with him. But he's made a way for that to happen. And that's for all those who realize I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. I can't think good enough thoughts. I can't do good enough things. I need help. And God says, this is what my love is about. I will send my own son so you can have a relationship with me. He is the bridge back. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ and his coming. This paves the way for the relationship. At Easter, we celebrate the fact that he came and he was born. He lived a perfect life. He showed us how to follow God. And then he died for our sin. He paid the penalty of our guilt. He paid the penalty of our shame and of our sin. He died. He faced judgment. So I don't have to. And so you don't have to. But death didn't keep him. He rose again. And he conquered death. And he conquered sin. And he conquered guilt. And he conquered shame. So at Christmas we celebrate the life that made this possible. At Easter we celebrate the death and the resurrection that again made it complete. 
The reason I want to kind of say this to you is so many times we go about Christmas and we forget, even when we sing songs about Jesus coming, we forget the fact that that means God's great love for us. That means a relationship can be found again in God because of the sending of the baby in the manger. It's a beautiful picture. And I just want us to just take the time. We, just, we have to remember that in the busyness, in the buying of gifts, in the shopping, in the parties, in the closing up work, in the vacations, in everything that we have to do. It is about Jesus. It's not about anything else. And those things we can enjoy and they're blessings. But we sometimes miss Jesus in the middle of everything else. And as Christians, if we miss that, we're missing hope that people are longing for. But if we focus in on it, we have something that we can share. And it's greater than any gift we can give. It's the relationship back with God because his son was sent. And he was born. And he was celebrated 2,000 years ago, and we celebrate him today. I want to shift gears, and I want to talk about the why. Because he was born. It did happen. It's a historical event that changed history. That's why we celebrate it. That's the what. But the why, what happen and why does it make a difference? And so I want to go back to the book of Isaiah where I started last week. And in Isaiah, you have this prophecy of the foretelling of Jesus Christ coming to earth. And this is what is amazing about the scriptures in the old Testament. You have these scriptures that talk about what will happen specific to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of God coming to earth. And it was written 700 years before Christ came. And as you read the scriptures and you wonder, is God a God of power? Is his scripture true? Sometimes you just need to look at what he said and how it came true. That's the mode that God has chosen to reveal himself. Many times it happens in a self-fulfilling prophecy. 700 years after the fact. And last year, or last year, last week, we talked about the, the counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting father that's found in the person of Jesus. Again, these were 700 years announcements about his birth. And this week, I want to shift gears to another chapter in Isaiah, which talks about the specific things that, that he came to bring. Because again, he didn't just come. He came to bring a new type of life and a relationship. So he came with, with this is who he is and this is the difference he makes. So I want you to, to follow along and you can read and you can take notes if you want. You can just listen, whatever you, you need to do to kind of focus. But we're going to read this morning in Isaiah 42. Okay, again, 700 years. This is the description of Jesus coming. And there's three main areas I want to focus on that Jesus came to bring when he was born. See, we, we picture the baby in the manger and the shepherds. And the wise men and Mary and Joseph. And many times that's a part of the Christmas narrative. And that's important. But when you read the book of John, it talks about Jesus coming in the flesh and he dwelled with us. Okay? He dwelled. He was here. That's the emphasis. 
there's the characters of the story, but the most important thing is he was not here and now he is. And in Isaiah, it's painting this picture, this bright future of what happens to all who believe in the one that will come and did come. And now we're on the other side. And so he, he brought three kind of main things when Jesus came. He brought justice and grace. He brought life and guidance. And he brought freedom. Justice and grace. Life and guidance. And freedom. I don't know about you, but there's many times in my life I'm looking for justice. When a wrong has happened, I look for justice. When it comes to me, I don't want justice as much. I like grace. Any of you like that? Justice isn't nearly as important when I've done the wrong. Grace seems to be the most important. Okay? When it happens to others, maybe not as much. But life, all the time I'm thinking about my life and What's it going to count for and how to make the most of it? Guidance. How am I going to get there? How do I know the way forward? And then freedom. How do I move past what I struggle with and what I deal with? How do I make progress in life? Jesus came to bring those things. And that's what we're going to talk about. In Isaiah 42, it starts with this, the justice and grace of Jesus coming. You can see it up here. It says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ himself. And God is referring to him as his servant. And this chapter in Isaiah 42 is known as kind of the servant poem. And there's a few of these in the book of Isaiah. But the idea of the servant is he is obeying the one who sent him. That's what a servant does. You obey the one who sent you. And he is the chosen one that God has sent to do the will of his father. And it ends in verse one. He came to bring forth justice. Now, at this time in the Old Testament, they knew all about justice. In the Old Testament, when you sinned and when you messed up, you were face to face with the penalty of it because you had to make sacrifices. Right. I've messed up. I've sinned. I need to sacrifice an animal to pay as a penalty back to God. It was a sacrificial system. So people were face to face with this idea of justice, the wrong I've done. But they know that there's things that they've not sacrificed for, for sins that no one knows about. And so the weight of injustice and justice and guilt is, is on them. They're also under the power of the Babylonian Empire, oppressive people who want to come against them. They're under people that are pagan. They don't believe in God. They don't want to follow God. They want nothing to do with God in his ways. And here's God's people living in the land under their rule. So this word justice, they knew it. And they felt the guilt of their own lives. And then they felt the injustice of those over them. So what God is saying is, I'm going to send my son. and He's going to bring forth justice to the nations. And then in verse two, we, we find out how let's read that together in verse two and three he says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a fainty burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So the idea here is they understood justice. They had the weight of their own guilt, they had the weight of an oppressive government upon them. 
people who wanted to take their lives away from them and their freedom. But justice will be brought in a certain way, and it's going to be brought in grace. Notice the description. Jesus is going to come, and he's not going to be using his lofty words or yelling it out in the street. The idea is his. Jesus comes in grace, and it's not in what he says. It's in what he does. And what he did was he came and he dwelled. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, we celebrate that grace came. Grace came. He came to be the sacrifice for us. But he came, he dwelled, he entered earth. He was here. He knew what it meant to live on this earth and to face the same struggles that we face. He came. And he was bringing justice, but he was bringing it in grace. Note the description. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. The idea is, wherever you are with what you're going through and what you're struggling, he doesn't come in a tyrant fire to burn you up for the weak and the restless and the broken. He comes to lift you up. He comes to help you. And how do we know that? Well, God could have chosen for the savior of the world, his own son, to be born in the best palaces in any part of the world he could have been. That's up to God. He could have chosen that. But instead, he chose God to be born in a manger with no room in the hay for all to see. And the idea here is grace comes and it's accessible to all. The shepherds roaming the flocks at night can come and see him. The wise men who are noble could come and see him. Anyone could come and see him. Grace was accessible to all. He didn't come to crush. He came to bring life. And then in verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands wait for his law. The idea of injustice is if someone's done wrong to you, are you not always looking for somebody to fix it? You know, in my family life, so much of what happens right now in family life with kids my age is a wrong has been done to one of the, the kids. And they come and, Dad, they said this about me. And it's that look like, what are you going to do, Dad? And as Dad, I'm like, they don't know that half the time. I'm like, I don't know. I don't say that. And I hope my face is like, hmm, let me think. I don't know what should I do. They're asking for justice. But part of my, my role as a father is like, you know what, you... You actually don't need me to bring justice. If you've been wronged, let them know that 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 hurt you. Tell them that. And if you've wronged them and you said that, you know that that doesn't plead God. Tell them that. Make it right. But we long for justice. We long for people to make things right. We look for somebody to fix it. What Christmas is, is God coming in the person of Jesus Christ saying, I will give you help and I'll give you the grace you need. I'll give you justice. I'll make things right. That's how he paints a bright future. Despite what I've done and my own guilt, my own impatience, my own sin, God helps me. When you decide to follow Christ, he helps you. You don't have to do it and overcome alone. 
when you've experienced things which are terrible that you don't even want to tell people about, Jesus came to help you. He will make things right. He can heal you here and now. And you may be broken until the day that you die. But if you decide to follow Jesus, he will make you whole again in the life that comes. That's the promise of Jesus. Grace came. And you can receive help. Justice came. And he'll make things right. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The second thing that Jesus came to bring was life and guidance. And see how the the scripture goes on. It says in verse 5, Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes forth from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. The picture of life is he gives breath to those. It's, it's, life can be overwhelming and discouraging, and especially when we look at our own selves, when we look at how we've messed up, we look at our past, we look at the struggles, we look at how we treat people. And we can be so discouraged. I know I can. I can just be discouraged. I can beat myself up. I should know better. I need to do better. It's just all internal and in turmoil. And that's part of the spiritual death. I experience just the guilt and the shame. It's just part of the, the struggle of being humans. We know that there's morals and we know that there's right and wrong. And we know that we don't measure up. But what God's saying is, is, through my son Jesus, grace and help will come. Justice and making things right will come. But you know what else? Life comes back. My rebellion, your rebellion. The Bible says the wages is death. Jesus came so we could have life, this breath back. Life. The things that are dead, he, he brings back. I get breath again. I don't have to do it alone. In my own power, I can't change. I can't fix myself. I can't fix anyone else. I can't make anyone else change. So what power do I have? I don't have any. But God who gives me the power as he gives me life through Jesus who he sent. And the next part is, is we actually get guidance. And this is direction. Jesus came to have a relationship with us. To lead us back to God. To pay the price so that. That gap from my sin and my rebellion, that death that I deserve, I can have life. But but then he also wants to lead me. The Christian life is so much about the here and the now. A different kind of life. And you see that in the next verse. I'm the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. This, I'll be honest, this is something that this week for me, I like, I needed to hear. Because you know what? I talk to myself. Wait, I should. Sounds kind of funny, but I I do talk to myself a lot inside of me. Like there's battles that I have, like where I view myself a certain way and I'm telling myself who I am, you know, and oftentimes that the discouragement, you know, comes because I want to see myself a certain way or I want to be a certain way and I'm not. And then I get mad at myself because I should know better. Any of you, you know, been there, you deal with that. I know I do. This is a battle. 
So in a way, like I, I call myself a, a certain thing. I, I like failure. You can't change. You did it again. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes I get help from the enemy. Discouraging thoughts out of nowhere. Wow, you blew it again? Yeah, I, I did. Wow, that's terrible. I wonder what God sees you. Oh, yeah, I'm, man, I, man, I messed up. And, and you can just spiral down. And then you read this about Jesus coming. And, and note, I will call you in righteousness. It's, it's this idea of you now have a different name. It's actually not failure. I don't call you nothing. I don't call you worthless. I call you in righteousness. Not because you're good. Not because what you've done. Not because the the gauge that you measure yourself is good. We're still sinful and broken, but because Jesus becomes the new measure. If you decide to follow him, you're now called in righteousness. You can be made right before God. Jesus' death and sacrifice The fact that he came to earth to have a relationship with us. We now have a new name. We're redeemed. The broken becomes whole again. Now, life isn't perfect. And surely if if you're investing in Christianity, you know Christians, you know they're not perfect. And if you are a Christian, you know that you blow it. Sometimes it's just a matter of minutes. But our identity changes. He calls us in righteousness. And he leads us forward. A bright future comes because we have new life. And a bright future comes because we have new direction. This comes in the justice and the grace. And it comes in the new breath and the new life that we have. God leads us forward. And this is the difference that Jesus makes. He can actually change you from the inside out. And that guidance can actually cause us to live like different people. If you want to change and you've not experienced it, Jesus can bring that as you follow him. And the grace that he gives to us, we can extend to others. I don't have an overflowing measure of grace myself where I have spare to give. But when God gives me grace, it's overflowing. I can extend it. When God gives me patience, it's overflowing. I can extend it. He leads us. And note the last part. I will take you by the hand and keep you. The words keep you there is the picture of the protector. The person who watches over. The idea is he's going to make sure that you're not going to dry up. That your life's not going to wither. As you extend yourself to love others. That is here. The the boundless measure of grace and patience and love that he has. He's always watching. And as you're giving it else and as you're draining yourself on behalf of others, he refills you. He's keeping watch. There's no magic elf. Sorry if I like ruined that for some of you. There's no magic elf. But there's God watching and he sees everything. As we extend patience and grace and understanding to others, he gives it back. That's so encouraging to me. I need that. 
because on my own resources, I'm, I'm empty and I dry up and I have nothing to give people. Jesus came and we actually have something to give for all who follow him. Then the last is freedom. Jesus came to bring us freedom. Now this imagery is kind of, it's building up the justice, the grace, the life, the guidance. And then it just builds up to this magnificent picture. And I'm going to talk about this more next week about how to be a light to the world. But check out this, this picture of Jesus coming. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And it keeps going. I think I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory. I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Could you go back to verse uh, 6b and 7? I love this, this picture and it really does speak for itself. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. But when we celebrate Christmas and Jesus coming, it is not just for us. It is not an individual independent celebration. It's not even just for Christians to celebrate among themselves. Jesus came and he brought all the things that people long for. Justice and grace, life and guidance and freedom. There's people in our lives right now who are blind, who feel imprisoned by their sin They feel imprisoned by the pressure upon them. They're overwhelmed by trying to live life their own way. They don't even realize how hopeless they are because they've not known hope before. They don't know how directionless they are because they really don't have direction. And God has placed us in our families and in our schools and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods in our communities to proclaim that Jesus came to bring freedom for people that are shackled. Guilt and shame has chained them up. The pressure to perform has chained them up. Living for themselves has chained them up. Jesus came to free them, to break free so they could experience sight for the first time this year one of the places that we're giving to in the christmas offering is actually something that is trying to help people experience freedom and it's rebirth homes and like john said we we want to give to ministries that are help penetrate the darkness in different areas that we don't get to do that in we primarily are focused here in the san gabriel valley in alhambra trying to penetrate the darkness in this community but As we have opportunity, we want to partner with other ministries that are doing that in other places. And Rebirth Homes is helping women who are victims of human trafficking. Their very freedom has been taken away. And they can be rescued. And Rebirth Homes exists to allow these women to, once they're rescued, to get put back in homes and to experience spiritual life for the first time. And they hear about what it means to follow Jesus. And they get emotional help and mental help. And spiritual help. And it's a two-year program that takes these women who are enslaved by fear 
enslaved by shame, enslaved by guilt. And they can experience freedom for the first time. So when you get to the Christmas offering, you get to be a part of why Jesus came. Because people get to hear about the difference that he makes. And they experience hope for the first time. And so I want to encourage you, pray about giving to that. Not because it's another thing to do at Christmas. God doesn't need your money. But as you extend yourself and to give above and beyond what you, you normally do, God uses that to make a difference in people's lives. So, so think about that and pray about that. But that's part of what we want to do. We want to help people experience freedom even in the way that we give to other ministries and organizations. As I close out, I want to invite the, the band up. What time is it? It's, I feel like I'm over. It's 1141. It's supposed to be done 1135. God bless you for your patience. I was a little fired up this morning. The kids are still okay. They're still having fun. Lunch, Lord willing, will still be there. Uh, but, but I want to close out with just a few, a few things, just next steps. Uh, the first next step is blank on your connection card. And that is just, how's God spoken to you? And I have some just different areas that you may be kind of dealing with in your own life. You may be just overwhelmed by that pressure to perform. Maybe you need to really accept God's grace and realize like you're beating yourself up. And you expect a lot more out of yourself than you actually can do. Maybe you just need to ex- accept God's grace right now. Stop trying to perform and fake it. Uh, some of you may be just overwhelmed by some sin. And it's enslaving you. God wants to give you freedom. And it may start with you just confessing it before God. Like, God, you know me. I'm dealing with this. I need help. So you may need to get help. You may need to tell somebody that you love and trust, that loves and trusts you, about some struggles that you're dealing with. Freedom comes as you come out of the darkness into the light. And maybe just in little things, short with people around you, expectations that you're putting on people, the weight that you're putting on yourself. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came so we may have life and grace And there may be just some of you who are, you're really experiencing some really difficult things of things that are, have been done to you. And you're struggling with bitterness. You're struggling with maybe anger towards God. God wants to make that right. But it starts with the giving of himself first. So God has taken the move. He sent Jesus. So now you need to take a move to him. So if you've never yet committed your life to follow Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that. The next step on the connection card is for the first time to make that decision. You can't experience all the things that Jesus came to bring unless you decide to follow him. He took the initiative. He sent his son. He took the initiative again. His son died. And his son rose again. Then we have to take a step back to him. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that this morning. If you check that, I'll follow up with you and I'll help you figure out what does that mean to actually follow Jesus. So consider that. Take a step and decide in the middle of what you're facing, Jesus came for you and he came for me. 
and what a difference it makes. We're going to sing a song called Joy to the World as we receive our offering. And I just encourage you, as you sing that, take in those words because it is a picture of what I've been talking about this morning. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll sing that song back to God. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. And that is what entirely Christmas is about. Everything else is different layers of the greatest gift that we've ever been given. And that is the gift of yourself. Thank you, God, for your initiative and your intentionality and your grace and your love to pursue us and to have a relationship with us. Thank you for bridging the gap between our own rebellion back to you. God, we we ask that in the middle of everything we have going on that we will take the time to consider these things and why Jesus came. So God, help us to do that this week and what we face. And all that we have going on our plate, help us to slow down. In the name of Jesus, amen.